Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the podcast. I am Chris Graham, and this is Street Knowledge. And um, Crystal Graham is joining me and will be joining me quite a bit uh, as we uh, ramp things up here with podcasting uh, as things move in the middle of the spring towards summer the rest of the year. We have a lot of news and social cultural topics to get into. Also, the launch of our Project Mental Health. And Crystal, maybe let's start there if we could. Uh, we, one of our topics this week is a mental health topic uh, that we're going to be addressing. Uh, on the show today, we'll talk about the, uh, the, the shocking news from Harrisonburg, the, the death of JMU softball star Lauren, Lauren Burnett, who um, we now know today, as we're recording this on Thursday, died, of, died from suicide. Uh, also, uh, on today's show, we'll talk about the Sunset Park uh, approval by Waynesboro City Council. We'll also then later talk about Twitter. Uh, but the important things uh, will revolve around the, the the mental health issue. And and Crystal, just this week, as it turns out, we launched something we've been working on for quite a while: Project Mental Health, a very important topic to both of us. It is, and obviously, um, many of you who know me personally know that I had a twin sister who died by suicide at age fifteen. And so, while that wasn't the Uh, driving force behind Project Mental Health, it certainly is a factor into why I'm involved in mental health as an adult, you know, trying to make a difference in some way and trying to, you know, help stop suicide. Uh, In this case, you know, Burnett, as you said, uh, has her death has been ruled a suicide. And it's one of several athletes that you've likely seen throughout, you know, throughout the nation, college athletes who've died by suicide and parents and fellow, uh, you know, fellow athletes, fellow students, students say, you know, you just never know exactly what a person is going through. And uh, that's certainly likely the case uh, with this student. You know, there's so much and, you know, there's so much talk about it right now related to, um, you know, it's basically two full-time jobs. You're, you're being a professional athlete in a sense, you know, we're a, a full-time job as an athlete and training and keeping your physique up to be a elite athlete, as well as, you know, maintaining your grades in school. So it certainly can understand the challenges facing college athletes. Uh, Chris, one of the things that gets talked about a lot when you're talking about stories of this nature is whether or not you should report it as a member of the media. Is a college athlete are they actually someone of a status that it should be reported by? And I know that a lot of um, mainstream media, so to speak, gets criticized for covering it. As someone who covers news on a daily basis, what what is the reason? Like, why why do you report on something like this? Well, uh, I mean, I guess from the standpoint, you report on the sports when when the softball team is playing and JMU is a high profile college softball program they were in the college world series last year Lauren Burnett was a starting catcher as a freshman on this this uh th- th- this JMU team that uh you know not only played in the college world series won two games they beat the number one team in the country in the first game uh, Oklahoma uh big upset uh nationally televised game a uh, lot millions of viewers were watching that game um if you know the next time JMU played and she wasn't there people wouldn't wonder why uh, so you have to report on her death. Um, and I mean, I'll be honest, uh, Crystal, you and I, with with your background in mental health, I guess I've got a background in mental health, too, as a result of that, because of all your years of work in suicide prevention. When we both saw that that, that a 20 year old uh, softball player uh, had had unexpectedly died and there was no immediate cause of death given. I mean, I think we both we both assumed and hoped against hope that it wasn't. Uh, but we assumed it, it may have been a suicide attempt that that was successful. And so, um, you know, I think I mean, I th- from our perspective, Project Mental Health, everything we're doing with that is is oriented towards letting people know that there's no shame in having mental health issues. And unfortunately, that sometimes, you know, people who are um, going through mental health uh, challenges, um, uh, think there's no other way out and, and they attempt something and sometimes they're successful and, and take their own life. And, and, you know, we can't run and hide. I don't think we can run and hide from that. I think we have to be upfront about that. And, and, and in my opinion, the more reporting that's done, not less on mental health, including sometimes, unfortunately, suicide attempts and and suicide completions, um, can, can, can help to normalize this. It's the same as if, to me, if a, a softball player was diagnosed with cancer, um, or, 
or you know someone prominent would 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 come down with another heart attack or something like that um you report on it so why should we hide from reporting on mental health uh issues including unfortunately the occasional suicide attempt uh, that sometimes is successful unfortunately so i I just think that we got to report on this because it's there's no shame in having mental health problems and i think that we 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 can't treat it with with those kind of kid gloves that previous generations did you know and there's no question that you have been a prime example of someone who's outspoken about your own mental health struggles which i think in and of itself is very brave. And I, and I say that coming from the standpoint of, I believe that everyone should be able to talk about it openly um, in any environment, whether it's work or school or anywhere else, because there's so many people who struggle, who never get help, you know, and there's certainly help out there in so many different ways, you know, whether it's medication or therapy or exercise or other things that, that people can do to help alleviate depression and anxiety and some of the other mental health issues that someone deals with. You have been very open about sharing your own struggles. And as someone who's worked in suicide prevention for a number of years, I do know that men in particularly often think that they have to be so strong for their families and for other people uh, that they kind of refuse to show that vulnerability. And, uh, and certainly uh, there are options available for everyone. And, and, and a mental health issue, just like oftentimes a brain aneurysm or some other major health con- condition, you know, it's not something that, you know, that, that you, that's voluntary, you know, it's likely something that you're born with or something that you've developed and that there's treatment available for just like a medical condition. So, you know, it's, a uh, it, it's frustrating, you know, and the other, the other segment of the population among many others, you know, it's minorities, you know, often don't uh, reach out, especially in the African-American community. They, they go to church leaders and things of that nature, but don't generally look to therapy and that kind of thing for, for help. And so um, it is a, it is a constant struggle. And so with project mental health, which is something that Chris has mentioned a few times on this podcast, one of the things that Augusta Free Press is going to emphasize going forward are more stories about mental health. And it's going to feature faces of people in our community and how they're deal, you know, how they deal with their own mental health struggles and what gets them through the day. And so we hope to share more stories like that. In line with that, Chris, you didn't just write about the the death by suicide of the JMU student that we were talking about just now, you went beyond that. And that's kind of what we're hoping to do with Project Mental Health. You went beyond that and you wrote about um, not just the death of her, but about athletes in general and what and what they face. You had done a podcast, I guess, about this uh, recently. And so I was hoping you could share a little bit more about that aspect. Yeah, you know, uh, one of our sister podcasts, the Jerry Ratcliffe Show podcast, um, we we normally talk hardcore sports on that podcast, but, um, you know, Jerry and I had noticed that there were, uh, th- this is back in December of, of this past year, so just a few months ago, uh, that there had been a number of stories in the news. You think about last summer with, um, uh, in, in the Summer Olympics, uh, with, with the gymnast who had the the, uh, the the mental health scare that kept her from from competing all the way uh, in, in the Summer Olympics and the pressures that she felt. And, uh, you know, there was a, a, a one of the great women tennis stars also. Um, we thought, you know, hey, let's examine this from a from a perspective, a lo- more localized perspective. So what we did was we arranged to to chat with John McKnight, uh, who at the University of Virginia is actually the medical director for Virginia Athletics. And um, He's been working closely with Virginia Athletics. Of course, he's the medical director for, for physical and mental health issues, but he'd been working closely uh, with, with several folks, uh, both at Virginia, but also nationally within the NCAA uh, to, to come up with more protocols regarding mental health specifically. And um, as we talked in that podcast with John, it was just interesting to hear you know, him, him lay it out. So I thought, you know, we have this news this week, this terrible, tragic, sad news involving um, Lauren Burnett at JMU. Let's, let's not just report that she died by suicide. Let's, let's go into that a little bit more. You know, her teammates were, have been going to social media and saying, you know, uh, in addition to their tributes to their, to their friend and, and, and loved one, uh, that uh, at least a couple have noted that, that uh, you know, you never know what someone's going through, kind of what you said a little earlier, Crystal, and um, 
at, at, at least at UVA, and I, I can imagine a lot of big-time college programs, too. Can I, I can only imagine JMU. We haven't reached out to find out exactly what JMU has in place for its athletes, its student-athletes. But at UVA, there is a, a really detailed program of, of mental health monitoring, uh, and it's been made very clear uh, to the student-athletes there that, hey, we're here for you. So if, if – and not just, you know, come to us, but – if, if you if you as a student athlete notice that one of your teammates, um, one of your fellow student athletes is having some mental health uh, issues, um, talk to, feel free to talk to them about it. And if, if you, you know, feel free to talk to us about it. Um, let's, let's all be on the same team, a unity kind of thing, you know. Um, and so talking with John McKnight, you get the sense that, yeah, that, that there is a great realization of the pressures. You mentioned, Crystal, earlier about the uh, the, the two full-time jobs that student athletes have also, you know, John talked with us about how, I mean, and, and it makes sense. I, I hadn't really put it this way until he, he kind of explained it in great detail, but when you're talking about college level student athletes, particularly at places like a UVA or a JMU, you in high school were, uh, you know, the best that you were the best on your team. Um, you were probably among the best in your districts. You were probably among the best that your team played against all season long. So you're, that's why you're going, that's why you're in college. That's why you're at, a, if you're playing JMU softball, they were in a college world series last year. Um, you're there because you can help lead a team to the college world series. Again, if you're at UVA, you know, you're competing for ACC and national championships on a regular basis as well. Um, and so, but when you go there, everyone around you is that good. And so you you go from being the star to sort of a small the big fish in a small pond, and now you're a small fish in a big pond, and you have the pressure of 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 more challenging academics. Um, you're also on your own for the first time. Most of you, most student athletes are not they don't go to their hometown college. Most go to colleges and universities a good distance away. So you're just like when you and I went to college, Crystal, you know, we went to college away and it's tough adjusting. It's, it's, it's even, it's tough for, for student athletes in this respect too. So you have all those struggles going on. Yeah. You know, and I would think that the, the larger programs too, you also have the unrelenting fan base. You know, you think about the fact that, you know, whether they missed a game winning shot or something like that, it used to be because we didn't have all this social media platforms. You missed a shot and your coach said, Hey, you'll get it next time. And you kind of moved on from that, you know, but these days with message boards and social media and things of that nature, if these athletes are looking at that stuff, I can imagine how overwhelming that that can be, you know? Uh, so, I mean, that on top of everything else that you mentioned. So I'm so glad you had that interview with John McKnight. I, I think, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention was I was talking with a, a friend recently and she, uh, she knew someone, a, you know, a friend of a friend, basically, who was having thoughts of suicide. And she was asking, you know, what do I do? You know, what advice can I can I give to this friend, you know, so that she can work with her other person? And, you know, I said, I'll you know, I sent her some links, obviously, that, you know, had tons of more information in it. But the, the main part of it is a lot of times people need somebody just to listen, you know, and so, you know, if you know somebody who's struggling, and, and you know, maybe they live by themselves, and they just don't have that outlet, you know, just providing a listening ear without offering advice can oftentimes be very helpful to someone who's struggling. So just wanted to throw that in there. You know, there's tons of information online, if you actually do know someone uh, who's struggling with thoughts of suicide, and I definitely encourage you to look at that and to continue to follow Augusta Free Press, because of course, we'll be highlighting some of those topics um, as we go down the road as well. But what I wanted to uh, really give you a lot of credit for, Chris, is not just writing about the, the, the perspective of, hey, this, 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 this athlete at JMU died by suicide, uh, but taking it to the next level and saying, okay, here's what a professional, a medical director at, at Virginia has to say about this, you know, and I think that that story should have a lot of legs in the sense that, um, you know, these kids are, are working so hard and there's so many pressures on them. And it's something that um, from the outside looking in that you may not necessarily see, but we have to, you know, as fans, as, as fellow citizens, you know, just, just lighten up a little bit, you know, on these folks too, because there's, there's, there's a lot going on for them. Well, and, and, you know, outside of the student athletes, lighten up on each other as well. Um, you know, cause you mentioned Crystal, the social media pressures and, 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 the the younger generations i mean we're 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 social media savvy too and we're we're on social media a lot ourselves uh you much more than me but um well actually you're more the facebook person i'm more the twitter person but there's still um 
Um, so I guess we're both, we're both pretty good on social media there. Um, you know, and yeah, it can, it can, you know, sometimes what negative things people have to say can be, um, can be hard. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very public person. I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm a broadcaster. Um, and, uh, from time to time, people don't agree with things I write or, or say in broadcast or podcast, whatever. And, um, you know, we're all human too. I mean, we, you know, I don't, I don't say or write or, or think any of the things I do to be, uh, you know, a bad person. And just the same way that um, athletes don't go out there and play games and try to mess up. They, you know, they, they, it happens sometimes. Right. So, um, but what, whatever your job is, whatever your role in life is, you know, um, life is life can be hard sometimes. Um, you know, for me injecting myself into this story a bit, as I did when I wrote this, this piece, I think it's important that, that we all acknowledge th those of us who do, um, acknowledge that we have whatever mental health issues we have for me it's anxiety you know for me i think fortunately um you know anxiety for at least for, for me the way it manifests wasn't in any way that i wanted to harm myself in fact my anxiety was because i wanted to live even more i had a health a health a physical health scare last year uh that um you know, I mean, as it turns out, wasn't as as um, serious as it could have been. Fortunately for me, I had a pulmonary embolism, and those can be those can be life threatening. Uh, but I was in good physical health, and, and fortunately, that it wasn't you know what it could have been. But the mental part of that, after I you know after I survived the physical part, I mean, within a week, I was back to normal of even less than that. But the mental part was really tough to adjust to. I'd never had a, a, a health scare like that. And for months, uh, I struggled with that. And um, it brought out uh, in me, you know, some deep-seated anxiety issues that I'd been sublimating for probably my whole life, as it turns out. And it was really tough to acknowledge that uh, I needed help. I'm not the kind of person who likes to think I need help. I mean, this is, I'm probably a very similar in makeup to a lot of successful college and pro athletes in that sense. I'm very, I'm a very driven person. And, um, if it's, if something's in my way, I move it out of the way so I can continue to succeed. And I think a lot of, I think that's in common with, with successful athletes too. You know, these people who are playing high level college softball, high level college sports, pro sports, um, you don't get there by giving up or easily. So, um, uh, and, and, you know, you you often think that you are somewhat infallible. And so it was really hard for me to acknowledge, but I finally did acknowledge I need help. And that was, uh, that was an important acknowledgement. And, uh, I started, uh, behavioral talk therapy, uh, last July. Um, and here as we're approaching May, uh, I have one more appointment scheduled with my therapist who's been wonderful, giving me lots of great guidance, uh, and also just listened just listened an awful lot and helped me help me sort things out for myself in such a way that now I feel uh, a lot better equipped to deal with day-to-day -day things from an anxiety perspective. Um, and so, uh, you know, so I would recommend to anyone out there listening to this, if you're an athlete, if you're a business person, whatever, if, if you're just like us, regular walk of life, life people, um, if, if you feel like you've got some things to address, be brave and just say, I need help. Um, and, 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 you know, and I said, be brave earlier too, but you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that you would go to the doctor if you had a cough, right. Or if you had a prolonged health condition, you know, if you had a fever or something like that. And, and if you can think of this in the same way, you know, um, then, you know, re reduce that stigma, take that away from there. You know, I will say, Chris, you will never probably know how many people you have helped by sharing your story. And I say that because even on in, in, in my life, you going and getting therapy and talking about it openly and, you know, doing what you've done with your anxiety, even encouraged me. Um, I'm someone who, thankfully doesn't deal with long-term depression or chronic depression, but I am someone who deals with what is diagnosed as kind of seasonal depression or situational depression. And uh, because of your story and how helpful, you know, you share the therapy and things of that nature were for you, it made me 
more likely to go talk to my primary care doctor, which I did, and get on some medication to help me through uh, this this short-term depression that I'm dealing with, and also to go to therapy. So I think, you know, while it's different for everybody as far as what works for you, certainly I'm back on track now. You know, I had gained some weight. I had stopped riding my Peloton, you know, things that, things that were part of my daily schedule. And so while you helped me, I imagine that you're sharing your story, especially as a male has probably helped so many other people just recognize that it's okay to not be okay. And that's kind of our slogan with project mental health, you know, um, the other thing I just wanted to quickly mention that we mentioned in all of our stories that we write about suicide is there is a national lifeline and uh, it's available 24 hours a day. Volunteers basically work this lifeline and it can be for people who are worried about people. If you're worried about a friend uh, that they might be thinking about suicide and you're not sure what to do about that, you can call this lifeline for advice. It's not a crisis situation. If you're in a crisis situation, you dial 911. But if you're worried about yourself or you're worried about a loved one, There's a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and I'm going to give the number, but it's also on our website. If you go to Project Mental Health on Augusta Free Press, the uh, number is 800-273-8255, and that's really just 1-800-273-TALK, and there's also a crisis text line, 741-741, and you can type, you know, hello or whatever, and that will be uh, responded to as well. So I just encourage you that if, if you know someone who might be thinking about suicide and you need some advice, or if you yourself are having thoughts of suicide, you know, there are people that you can talk to right now. So I just wanted to mention that before we shift gears. Was there anything else that you wanted to add, Chris, before we shift gears to other stories on Augusta Free Press? I do just want to go uh, just give a minute or two of overview of detail on Project Mental Health. Uh, whether you're on mobile uh, or on our desktop website, there is a page uh, either on the desktop website, it's on the top line project, it, it actually will say project mental health up there in the top line. Uh, if you're on the mobile site, uh, on the drop down menu, you can go to project mental health. Um, what's there is a little bit of uh, statistical data important to highlight there. We're, we're based in Virginia. So we'll, we'll talk about Virginia numbers. But Two in five Virginians report having negative, having had a negative impact on their mental health since the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020. Two in five, just to put a number on that, that's 3.5 million Virginians. You're not alone if if you're if you're one of those folks. And I think honestly, those numbers are probably reported low. Um, but what Project Mental Health does for for now, the resources that are that are highlighted. Uh, are particular to folks who live in Augusta County, Stanton, and Waynesboro. We'd love to take this model and see other news entities uh, adopt this and, and share this kind of information with their folks in their. Yeah, local- I'll just say, Chris, just to just to inject myself into that for just a second. I worked with Mental Health America of Augusta to put together that resource directory, and there are some national contacts on there as well. So if you're if you're looking at a certain subject, you know whether it's veterans, um, whether it's uh, you know domestic violence, employment, whatever the subject is, um, there are some help and text lines, things of that nature. Some of them are local, some are Virginia-based, and some are national. So there's certainly options there to connect you, even if you are outside this area listening to our podcast. I see 25 literally links out uh, to, I mean, things break, broken down for alcohol, drug uh, issues, children's services, college, covid Etc. There's there's subcategories there, so if you can you can find easily your uh, your niche, so to speak, what you might need uh, help with, and, and you can click there and get those resources. So thank you, Crystal, for for yeah. You know, I served on that board for a short period of time, and this was my biggest goal was to get them a, a website that had uh, up to date information, and also to get a resource directory of some kind put together. And we were thankful that some Blue Ridge Community College students uh, worked with an internship with Mental Health America of Augusta and helped us really flesh this section out. But um, it certainly, we have links to all that information and it's continuously updated um, by Mental Health America of Augusta as well. And what we hope to do in the future, so there's lots of information there. There's also highlighted news stories uh, uh, that uh, provide more more coverage of mental health issues, again, to, to just normalize mainstream uh, these issues. We hope in the future to work with one thing for me with my physical health issues, I that pulmonary embolism that I had 
Um, we hope to uh, eventually break out and, and work with our local hospital and, and, and medical, physical medical services providers to help them do a better job of um, kind of including mental health talks while they're dealing with your physical health. I know for me, um, as I did research on um, pulmonary embolisms, it's quite common for people who are, are like me. You know, I'm, I'm relatively young, 49 years old. Um, when you have a first time scare like this uh, to go through a, a, a mental health scare that's related to that. And, and yet I felt like, uh, and no casting, no aspersions on my physical health providers. They did a great job getting me, uh, you know, and, and getting me and checking me. I've gone back for checkups. I'm, I'm doing great physically, but I, I just wish that maybe I'd been advised, Hey, you, you might feel some, some uh, anxiety over this. And so if you, if you do, um, you know, maybe seek out that counseling sooner. For me, I didn't go for my f- counseling until about four months into that. Um, and I, I thought I, something was wrong with me, I'm not dealing with it well. And apparently it's a very common thing. So um, we want to work with the, the medical doctors to also get them to maybe include a mental health uh, check-ins uh, as, a, as a common um, part of, of their checkup. Process. Yeah, and so. props to Augusta Health too. You know, we should mention that we work with about 12 agencies as we started to put together Project Mental Health, uh, eventually thinking that we were going to launch it as a standalone website, but then thinking that there would be more voice if we contained it within Augusta Free Press. And one of the things, uh, one of the representatives from Augusta Health certainly said, hey, we recognize the issue and we realize, you know, that that there, there's something that can be done here, you know, and so yeah, I think, you know, even just um, providing, you know, patients who go through, you know, something that um, can be traumatic, you know, and, and, you know, what's not traumatic to one patient may be to another, but providing them with some kind of a, a leaflet or a business card or something or somebody who just checks in a patient advocate who checks in, you know, after you get home and says, Hey, are you doing okay? You know, do you need a referral to this kind of a service? You know, that kind of thing would be very helpful, you know, as you go down the road. And certainly if we can work with Augusta Health as a starting point and then branch out, you know, we've got UVA and Centera and other hospitals within this region as well, it would be wonderful. You know, you see more and more often now that doctor's offices are actually asking some questions, you know, about depression and, you know, suicidal thoughts and things of that nature. It's becoming more regular practice as you get checked in to be asked about that. But certainly after a traumatic event, uh, it seems like, you know, whether it's, you know, a little bit of PTSD or something like that, when you leave or the anxiety and other issues, um, it's something that could certainly be addressed and uh, would be a great benefit to you know, to our communities. So, yes, yes. All right. So shifting gears now, Chris, because we are a good little ways into this podcast. And I know that we promised to talk about other subjects as well. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Sunset Park in Waynesboro. So this is something that you've written numerous stories about over the years, and particularly several stories this week. Um, I'm going to let you set up exactly what Sunset Park is. Uh, the, the vote has already been done by city council. It passed by a 3-2 vote, so they will be moving forward with Sunset Park. Let people know kind of what people can expect in Waynesboro. Well, uh, it's, it's an interesting development. Uh, for, for once, Waynesboro is moving forward with a plan that's been in existence for quite a while. Um, Sunset Park will transform the former city landfill that overlooks the city which is an interesting for people who um, are either new to Waynesboro um, or if you're outside the area listening in and you're like, they actually put the landfill up on above the city. Yeah, they did. Uh, years ago, our city founders and their uh, lack of infinite wisdom, as I wrote, <laughs> um, uh, had this property that uh, located on the east side of Waynesboro, as you as, I call it at the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains, but it's as you go starting to go up the Blue Ridge Mountains. They decided to put the landfill there, and you could see this. You can you, know, you can see this location from almost anywhere in the city. The only reason you may be blocked in, in some places is because of trees in your own yard. But um, so uh, it's been there. It's been an eyesore. Uh, in 2003, the city finally, um, under order from the, I believe it was the Virginia Department of Environmental Quality. Uh, I know it was a state agency, maybe the EPA involved in it as well. And in fact, looking back on it, it was the EPA involved as well with the DEQ. Um, uh, ordered it closed down and eventually the city closed it down. Um, 
as uh, and there was also an agreement with Stanton and Augusta County to do a uh, just a regional landfill out in Augusta County um, at a location where people don't have to see it basically. <laughs> and uh, uh, so with that, um, there was this property overlooking the city. What do we do with it? Uh, and um, the city at that time um, put some money into uh, building an access road uh, that could eventually lead to a park. The plans were in 2003 were, hey, maybe one day we'll make a park out of that location. It's, a, it's above the city. It's got great views. Um, it's almost like when you're up there, you can see the city as if you're looking at a sort of a Google map. I mean, you can see. Uh, Broad Street going out in one direction. You can see Main Street going out straight. You can see the tree streets. I mean, you, you can really see Waynesboro from a from that perspective. It's kind of like um, if you're at a football game and you're sitting at the top of the stadium, everything looks small, but you can see the grids, you know, on the, on the field, and it's really neat to see. Uh, but um, you don't just you know open up. You have to do you have to do some development work, and so there have been plans made for years. Um, uh, some state money going towards the plans. And then their opportunity came with the money from the American Rescue Plan Act, um, the, the recovery money, post, post-COVID recovery money, uh, that gave the city the opportunity to build this uh, $2.1 million uh, city park for only $125,000 in local money. Uh, and so there, there, there were some folks, quite a few. There was, it was a two-hour-plus public hearing on Monday night with city council and roughly 50-50 in terms of people speaking for and against, um, the people who spoke against are the people who speak against everything in Waynesboro. Well, well, and yes and no. And, and I think there was a lot of confusion around it, too, because we were both listening in from home uh, to this to this public hearing. And it seemed to be that there, you know, um, maybe the lack of information that people had was some of the reason uh, that they were opposed to it. I think that there was, there was some feeling that this money could go towards other bigger needs in the city uh, versus going for a, a park, you know, and certainly um, I think it's a, it's a challenge. It was a challenge because there, you know, there wasn't a ton of information out ahead of this. Right. And so all, all that most people coming into it knew was, Hey, this is about $2 million uh, that could maybe go towards something else. Talk to that a little bit, Chris, because people brought up things like related to infrastructure on, on that side of town, you know, on the east side of town, they also brought up, you know, more pay for police uh, and, and other uh, entities within the area. But this money specifically um, from what you were saying, and, and I'm sure from what you have written, couldn't go to those things. Um, I mean, it, it could have been used for some, it, it had to be used for infrastructure, it certainly couldn't be used to uh, give pay raises to police, uh, because it's one time money. Um, one t- it's, it's just like anybody else. Um, you know, Crystal, you and I personally found out today that there will be money from an inheritance of some sort, uh, a small amount, but coming, it's a one time thing, you don't budget um, you know, three or four or five thousand dollars from um, a small inheritance from a relative from from who passed away a few years ago, and say we're going to get that every year because <laughs> if you did, you wouldn't get it next year, and it'd be it'd be silly to do that. Um, you can't you can't balance your life around one time things, and, and it's the same here. Uh, the mayor Bobby Henderson made that point. Um, you can't pay the police. Uh, you can't give them a raise this year and then take it back next year if the money's not there. Um, so you, what you do, what you are supposed to do uh, with one-time monies, um, I mean, you know, for some folks, maybe you decide to just spend it this year. Um, it, you know, but you're, if you're smart with it, you invest it in some way. Maybe in our case, we use that three or four or five thousand dollars whenever it comes, and we make an improvement to our home or to our, you know, our, our facility here, you know, our yard or our driveway or something like that. Um, if you're a city, you look at that and say, what can we do um, with this one-time money uh, that we won't get next year? We won't get five years from now. It's not an automatic thing that's going to come in every year. What can we do to, to improve? Um, you, could, you could build sidewalks. Um, Waynesboro had a referendum in 2007 about uh, building sidewalks across the city. It failed. Um, and it turned out that the city screwed up the way they did the referendum anyway, and it wouldn't have been binding, but it failed. Um, there are a number of, of, of uh, older neighborhoods in this city that don't have any sidewalks. Uh, there are a number that also then have sidewalks that are in need of repair. Um, those are the kind of things that you need to deal with probably more, more year by year anyway. And we haven't had uh, the will from the voters. The voters continually vote in uh, city council members who um, 
don't want to raise your taxes. If you don't raise your taxes, you can't pay for things. Uh, but this time around, this is what surprised me about it. This time, you know, you had three of the five city council members saying, these plans have been in development for 20 years. Let's do something that will last long after we're gone. In fact, one of the city council members, the former mayor, Terry Short, said after, you know, we're up there with even a better view of this, uh, we'll be able to look back and say we did something for Waynesboro that outlasted us. Um, with well, this and yeah, and Sam Hostetter, um, who represents Ward D, also said, you know, basically, let's not just wait another 20 years and then say, oh, I wish we had done something then, you know, kind of. Yeah. Uh, to summarize what he had to say. And so, you know, in the end, people may be satisfied with it. It is something that has the potential for drawing tourists to the area, you know, that apparently mountain biking and things of that nature, it's a big deal, you know, and people who go and bike these trails or hike these trails often visit restaurants afterwards and things of that nature. So it could have an economic impact in that respect, not to mention the festival space that might be available there. And so I think the, uh, the, as, as Terry Short called it, this getting ahead investment uh, is, is good for Waynesboro in the long run. And it doesn't mean that those other issues don't need to be addressed. Somebody brought up the West End Fire Station, you know, the police pay, things like that, but, but not necessarily from this money, because as you said, it's not an annual commitment. It's a one-time, you know, kind of funding kind of use. It is interesting also that um, both Sam Hofstetter, who represents Ward D, and as you said, Bobby Henderson, uh, who represents Ward C, both are up for re-election. And the elections will not be held in May, as have been done previously due to some um, action taken by the General Assembly, but that's going to be bumped now till November. And there's already a, a candidate who's announced after after they agreed to, uh, to fund the Sunset Park, someone who's announced that they're running for uh, city council. So it will be interesting to see the impact, if, if any, um, on, on the elections in November. It will. Um, it, it very well could. Uh, or, it, it, you know, it might not. I mean, you, you know, a lot, there were people who were you, you talked about the lack of information. I, I wanted to bring I wanted to go to there. Um, at one point when Terry Short was um, explaining why he was going to vote the way he was going to vote after the public hearing had been called. And, you know, then the city council members were given an opportunity to weigh in. Um, he mentioned that there were that the city had been granted a, a little bit over nine million dollars uh, in ARPA funds, the American Rescue Plan Act funds uh, to use, and that the city had already committed uh, before this vote, uh, they already committed $3.5 million to other projects. And someone in the audience said, for what? As if, you know, there's some hidden agenda there. They, they did this under the cloud of darkness. No, the city council meets every two weeks. <laughs> uh, just because you didn't pay attention doesn't mean that they did anything wrong. Um, you know, people need to pay more attention. And, and, Folks paid attention to this, Crystal. I'll be honest with you. Um, this was this was people generating um, political interest on the part of I me mean, looking at November. Um, you know, this 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 was not organic. This was not a bunch of people came in because they all of a sudden didn't like this money being spent when they didn't care about the other three and a half million. And then there's another three and a half million is going to be spent. They won't pay attention to that either. This was something that was gemmed up as being controversial so that it could serve a political purpose. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm Bobby Henderson coming out and voting the way he did surprised me. He normally, he has, he has tended to side with the more conservative members of the city council. I'll give him credit. I mean, I, I wrote in the story that I wrote about this, that, um, you know, he's, he, he's a brave man because uh, he's got an election coming up and he's not announced that he's going to run for reelection. It, it would surprise me if he didn't. Um, but, uh, you know, he's he's coming out in favor of, hey, let's do some things here. He's, he's not he's not all of a sudden going to you know throw money at everything. But, uh, you know, the fact that he broke away from the vice mayor, Lana Williams, and the former mayor and vice mayor, Bruce Allen, they rotate those titles around a lot on, on the city council uh, and, and sided with the two more progressive members of the city council, Sam Hostetter and Terry Short. Uh, it threw me for a loop. I I. I, I, I I think I told you, Crystal, that the night we were we were keeping up with the meeting, uh, we were we were monitoring the meeting from our home office here, which is a great thing. Video streaming, you can watch meetings as they're going on in your locality. I don't think it's going to pass. I, I just was I was my political analyst had said, no, they're not going to pass this. Uh, you're and you gave the your optimism was that they would table it. I mean, that was that was you being optimistic. Oh, they won't not pass it. They'll just table it. And that that was reasonable. I mean, there was no way they were going to pass this, and they did. So um, I think this is a big step for Waynesboro. I mean, because to me, um, 
there are there are two sets of separate benefits to the Sunset Park. Uh, you know, one stated reason is it improves recreational access for people on the east side of town. You know, Waynesboro has this interesting history, and even though people alive now weren't alive in nineteen largely, I guess if you if you were alive in nineteen twenty three, how old would you you'd be over over a hundred years old easily, and you'd have to remember it. So. You'd be you'd be pushing like Guinness Book of World Records longevity, but in 1923, Waynesboro on the uh, west side of the South River and Basic City on the east side of the South River were two competing city or two competing towns at the time. They weren't cities, um, but the 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 two, the leaders of Waynesboro convinced the leaders of Basic City, "Hey, we should merge. We're right beside each other. There's no sense in us being two separate independent towns. Let's be a, a, a individual. Let's be a combined entity." And uh, they had to go to the General Assembly, Virginia being what's called a Dillon Rule state. You can't just merge on your own. You got to get the General Assembly's approval. And Waynesboro hoodwinked Basic City. And they were the, the plan was, we'll call it Waynesboro-Basic City. But the, the legislation that went to the um, General Assembly just named it Waynesboro. <laughs> and people on the east side of town held grudges over that for generations. You know, I know that most people now who live on that side of town don't hold that grudge that they know of because they don't remember that. You know, I'm, I'm telling for most people who are hearing this, it's the first time they've ever heard this story, but um, the, they don't hold that specific grudge, but they hold the, they hold a general grudge, which is we don't like people on that side of town because they think they're better than us. You know, the people, the, the, the communities on the East side of town are more working class. Um, and uh, you know, so, yeah, there is a there is a bit of a divide there as far as that goes. And so, um, you know, the, the the park facilities that are available in Waynesboro are largely in, you know, proximity to the more upper middle class neighborhoods. Uh, right. And so you wrote about that in another story. And I wanted to bring that up, too. You wrote about the fact that there were several people who spoke at that Sunset Park meeting who live in Ward A. And one of the things that they said, and I'm, and I'm going to first talk about Andrea Jackson. She was, we know her because she used to chair the Waynesboro Democratic Committee. I believe she's still a current member of that committee. And she said, yes, we need investment in Ward A, but we don't need a park. We need stuff that's going to actually help citizens in that area. And several people spoke uh, related to RISE, which is one of the um, organizations in this area uh, founded by uh, Shannon McGuffin, I believe. But one of the things that she taught that that this, this group that attended really tried to stress is that we have bigger issues. We have homelessness. We have people who can't afford, you know, living right now. And, you know, people who are graduating and maybe living in cars and things of that nature. And so, you know, what they were saying was, aren't there bigger investments that we can make under this act in our community that aren't a park, but deal with these bigger issues? Um, what did the council members offer on that, if anything? Well, I think this is a valid point of criticism. Um, I wouldn't say that because because some of the suggestions being made give some of the money to after school programs. You, again, you can't. I mean, to me, well, one, you know, by by the, the terms of the act, you couldn't just give money to. Um, you had the money has to go for infrastructure purposes. So, I mean, you can't just give money to a program. Programs on infrastructure, you could give money to a building for a program, that would be infrastructure. Um, you know, one one of the ladies you talked about mentioned that there there are no recreational facilities in Waynesboro and then said, I'm not counting the Y or the Boys and Girls Club. Well, the Y and Boys and Girls Club exists. The Boys and Girls Club actually exists on the east side of Waynesboro. It's, it's physically on the east side of Waynesboro. Uh, the YMCA, um, which is located uh, in the Tree Streets area on the west side of, of the city, on the west side of the South River, um, has, you, you know, they, they do a great job, in my opinion, of not only uh, providing services, uh, they, they make it easy for kids to get there. They'll go, go pick them up in the, in the buses that they drive around. Um, they provide access. And they're income-based too. I mean, some people income use that facility, you know, at no cost. So, I mean, exactly. they're certainly, they're, uh, certainly they're open to the community. Yeah, they're open to the community. So it's not like it's not there. Um, right. Just because you don't use something doesn't mean it's not there. Um, but I think that there is valid uh, uh, criticism, not to me, not specifically with this issue, but just in general, uh, that the city council doesn't seem to listen to all of its 
consist constituents, all of its all of its residents. And I think uh, I, and I wrote a, the story I wrote was that Waynesboro could do a better job of listening to its black and brown residents here. Well, it, you know, when's the last time, if ever, that we've had representation on city council of someone of a minority? Well, uh, Elnora. Um, Elzina, 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 I'm sorry, yes, Elzina Anderson, yeah, but, and she was from Ward A, uh, but now the, the, you know, the representative of Ward A is a very conservative Republican, so, I mean, it, you know, you got what you, you get what you get there, um, and, hey, so uh, since you brought that up, Chris, can we talk just as for a second about the elections and how they're going to change in Waynesboro? Because one of the things that you've been able to do before is if I, so we live, I think, in Ward D now. We used to live in Ward B. And when you went to vote, you voted for every race, regardless of what ward you lived in. But that is changing too, correct? That is correct. That is correct. Um uh, with the November elections this year, not only do we have November elections in the city, we have we've had May elections forever uh, with our city. And, and as a result, the turnout would be 15 to 20 percent of the voter base. Um, most of the folks who turn out, uh, as we know from working polls in past years, uh, just anecdotally, they're older white folks um, who vote a certain way and they get the city council they want. Um, the uh, yeah, you, you you voted not. So we see people by ward. Uh, except there's one at large. So there's four people seated by ward, ward A, B, C, and D, and then there's an at large. But everyone voted for everyone's ward. So people in ward D could help ward A decide who represented ward A, et cetera, et cetera. And with the new state law, uh, the city, and this was oriented towards, uh, I believe it's the city of Norfolk has, has a similar system where they have wards, but then you could vote you know, citywide for everybody's wards. Um, folks there decided they wanted a change so that you, you know, you seated people uh, and the only, only the people who lived in that ward could vote for that ward. Well, to change the state law, you change it for everybody. You couldn't just change it for Norfolk. So um, as a result, Waynesboro now with this November election, the people you mentioned, Crystal, that the wards C and D seats are up for election this year. Well, people in Ward C will vote for the Ward C representative, and people in Ward D will vote for the Ward D representative. Now, in two years, Wards A, B, and then the at-large seats are up. Um, we'll all vote for the at-large person, but then only people in Wards A and, and B will vote uh, in, in those. Uh, it's really elections. interesting. It's going to be interesting who shows up to the polls in November expecting to have a voice in all the races when clearly that has changed, right? What else is going to be on the ballot in November? Uh, this November, uh, it will just be you now. Well, I I you know, since you asked the question, um, right now it's scheduled to just be a congressional election for those of us in Virginia. We don't have a Senate election. You know, we, uh, we have two senators. Their, their terms are six-year terms. We've had in 2018, Tim Kaine ran for and won re-election. In 2020, Mark Warner ran for and won re-election. So, no Senate races in Virginia this year. But we do have uh, House House Representatives Congress races. Uh, so for those who live in Waynesboro, Stanton, Augusta County, it would be the sixth district race. Um, there's a chance that we will have um, state House of Delegates races and state Senate races. Uh, I believe I, mean, I know for sure about the House delegates as a possibility, only because um, the 2020 census and then the 2021 redistricting significantly changed the makeup of the districts. And now we're scheduled to have those elections next year, but um, there's a lawsuit pending. And actually, Crystal, you might remember this name, Paul Goldman. Um, Paul Goldman, who ran unsuccessfully last year for the Democratic nomination for lieutenant governor, has filed a suit. And it's it's interesting how this is progressing. The judge in the case is has made it clear that um, uh, state leaders bungled <laughs> the way they did the 2021 redistricting to a point that um, because th that redistricting should have been completed before last year's election cycle. Um, so many dramatic changes have been made to the district lines that uh, effectively we had people uh, we had laws enacted in our name this year by people representing districts that they really no longer represent. I mean, you know, you actually have some people in the House of Delegates and State Senate who don't even live in the districts they represent anymore because of the, the redistricting uh, and the way it was done. So there's a chance that they there might be um, House and Senate races this year. I mean, we're getting it's it's late April. Um, this would have to be wrapped up pretty soon. But I know that there's a lot of talk about the possibility that we could be ramping up a, a short term but quick 
one-year term for members of House Delicate State Senate. You asked the question. You open up a can of worms there. So there's there's it a bigger can, can of worms. worms. I tell you, <laughs> yeah. I think that you have to file by like June for November election. So you're right. There's a short timeline on figuring out what's well, going to happen. But I have seen in other states where they kind of went in and gerrymandered districts and things like that, that they're getting halted and that they're getting overturned. And so certainly uh, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out in Virginia. And I'm sure that people can follow AugustaFreePress.com for the latest developments uh, related to that as we move forward. Chris, before we wrap up today, hey, we're briefly, we promised a little bit of talk about Twitter, right? And so like you said, you're someone who uses Twitter a lot more than I do, uh, you, you know, from posting stories to your normal rants and stuff that you used to put on Facebook, but that are on Twitter uh, these days. Uh, you know, it seems like Elon Musk is on pace to purchase Twitter, though I've heard in the last couple of days that it could be falling apart, but it seems like mainstream media is reporting that it's still moving uh, full steam ahead, so to speak. Just wondering what your thoughts are. You wrote a story on that on Augusta Free Press as well. Yeah, you know, what I wanted to write about was just to point out what might seem obvious to some people, but might not to a lot of people. Um, Elon Musk, the, the Tesla founder, um, you know, reputedly the, the world's richest man, uh, a lot of that's paper money, but that's okay. Still rich. I mean, that's most, most, I say paper. It's, it's, it's literally on, he's not even on paper. It's, it's a, a house of cards kind of value money. Uh, but, uh, he's put together $44 billion to buy Twitter and he's positioning himself as the, uh, you know, how Twitter is the de facto town square. And it's really important that people have both the reality and perception that they're able to speak freely within the bounds of the law. As I was musing on this, I thought, you know, it's interesting. He's, he's setting this up as if he's doing this for the public good, but it's $44 billion. Um, and most of the money he's committing to this is not his money. Um, it's leveraged. It's going to be a leveraged buyout, which means uh, a lot of the financing is actually against the value of Twitter itself. Um, Essentially, the bank's loaning him the bulk of the money for this. Um, if something comes, he, he goes belly up with it, they'll just take Twitter. So um, that's a great way to buy something. It's, 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 just, it's the way rich people do things all the time. They do things with other people's money, not their own money. They don't, he's not going to risk his own value um, to do this. But still, that said, what's, what, why is he still doing it? You know, $44 billion, whether it's your money or someone else's money, it's your reputation if you fail at it. So the more I started thinking about this and examining the numbers and kind of, you know, getting under the hood a bit of, of Twitter and of Elon Musk, um, I wanted to examine the town square aspect of this. And it, in my mind, when I think of town square, I live in Waynesboro, but it, those listening out there or who, who maybe have read this column or when you read the column, think of whatever your town square is. So like, you know, maybe it's the the local, if you, I grew up in a rural area, maybe it's where your post office is, you know, or, you know, for me, it's downtown Waynesboro where city hall is. All right. So let's go to city hall and let's go there, uh, stand outside. That's the town square. And let's just start talking about whatever we want to talk about, you know, whether it's what city council is doing with sunset park or the federal government's doing with, uh, you know, the war in Ukraine or, or whatever. think about the guys who stand on the corner you know, of Rosser and Lou DeWitt sometimes and, you know, hold up their signs, you know, yes. to make their voices heard. Exactly. That, that, that guy, right? So, okay. So if you're protecting the, the, the right of me to go to t the city hall or the guy on the corner to put his signs up, um, you're, so you're protecting my free speech rights, but here's what is not at play when you go to the literal town square. There's no algorithm. It's going to make it so that when I go to town square or if, I, if, if the guy's standing on the side of the road getting you to honk horns, you're not going to hear those horns honking in Stanton. You're not going to hear them honking in Richmond. You're not going to hear them honking in New York. Um, there's no algorithm aspect to that that's going to make it beneficial. There, there's no way to then leverage that um, sign being held up on the side of the road or me going downtown and complaining about Sunset Park that um, advertisers can then benefit from. And so this is not a $44 billion purchase to protect free speech rights. If this is a $44 billion purchase, it, when it comes down to it, the banks that are committing lots of money to this, they don't want to own Twitter either. Because the first thing the banks would do would be to spin it off and sell it and get pennies on the dollar just so they recoup some of the money that has been invested with them so that they don't have to carry a loss on their books. Um, what the gamble is here, Elon Musk is an inventor. He, or he's an engineer. Um, he, he makes it, he's made it clear in the past that 
you know, the way to get Tesla to work, uh, he's, he has at times lived for weeks and months on the assembly line, like literally like slept in the, in, in the manufacturing buildings at times, trying to figure out how to better manage the processes of Tesla to better build, more efficiently build electric cars. Um, and so the gamble here on the part of the people who are putting the financing behind uh, Elon Musk isn't that he'll make this in a more efficient town square so we can all have our say. It's so that he can make it a more efficient means to get words out. Well, um, and so, and, you know, and not just words. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, right, it has to make money or, well, you know, when I say get words out, I mean, yes, I don't mean you and I's words. Right. I mean, his words. Other, yes. oh, I, I call him an oligarch, other oligarchs words, other big businesses words. That's yeah, what this yeah. is all about. Well, and so, you know, the challenge for him, in addition to finding a way to make money, we're someone who handles marketing accounts for a number of businesses and have not found advertising on Twitter to be efficient for anyone that we work with. And so we just don't recommend that in any way, shape or form. But that being said, marketing, marketing hat aside, you know, he, he says that one of the biggest issues he has with Twitter is the fact that bots get in there or accounts are taken over and that they're not real people and that you have to authenticate everyone that's on the platform and things of that nature. But Twitter's been dealing with that for years. It's not a simple fix, right? So right. I don't know that throwing more money at that is necessarily, you know, going to solve that issue. You know, there's other issues. You know, if you're giving somebody a platform for free speech and saying, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to mute anyone. So we're going to bring back the likes of Donald Trump and people who have been removed from the platform because they're spreading misinformation. Then you've got areas like Europe, who have some laws in place right now that say, hey, it's illegal to spread the misinformation, right? So how does that work then for Twitter, right? Do you just cut off Europe and say, hey, Europe's not going to be able to use the platform anymore? And not to mention Russia, if somebody's in Russia and they're criticizing their government, you know, are they going to be, you know, jailed for this kind of thing? You know, there, there's a there's a lot of things about allowing people to say whatever they want when it's not true. I think that that are going to be a challenge for Twitter as it goes forward, especially if it opens it up and that there's no verification. You know, even Facebook, who has been criticized a ton in the past for spreading misinformation, especially around elections in the United States and around COVID, um, you know, they're even now putting like little disclaimers. This information has been you know, verified as untrue. And here's some links to, you know, correct information on that and things of that nature. So if Twitter completely removes, you know, any component of that or any ability to shut people down because it's a private company, then all of a sudden you're wondering, you know, why do you use that platform if, if it's just going to become something that really spews a lot of misinformation with no, I don't know, with no, with no rules in place for stopping that. So I don't know, Chris, anything you want to add before we wrap up the discussion of Twitter? Yeah, I, just that it's a smoke. Everything he's the bluster is a smokescreen uh, from from Elon Musk. It's not about free speech. It's not about the town square. It's all about I mean, it, it, this has to make money. It makes money one of two ways. Uh, either uh, advertisers figure out that they can actually advertise effectively, even though we have, as we pointed out, we have not seen for for the clients that Augusta Free Press has that it works at all. Um, or they charge people to access it or, you know, maybe offer tiers of, but if you, but if you actually, if, if you do that, either way, either way you go, if you, if you make it more friendly to advertisers, that's less friendly to users. Um, because, you know, one feature of Twitter that's great is you can create lists and you not have to look at those dumb ads that you don't want to look at. I, I do that all the time. Um, is that, that, so at more advertising makes it less effective, or if you go the route of charging people for subscriptions, um, uh, and, and, and hope to make money that way. That's not a town square. I don't have to pay to go down to the town square. The, the, the guy who holds the stupid signs at the corner <laughs> of our neighborhood here, he doesn't have to pay, he doesn't have to pay money to stand there and hold his dumb signs up. So, um, either way you go, you're actually making it less attractive to people to use. Uh, but that's the only way you can make money at it. So, um, yeah, I, I, either way you go about it, um, you know, he's going to run into those problems. And I just, what, what I can't figure out for the life of me, two things, how he makes money with Tesla and how he'll make money with Twitter. Uh, good luck for, to him in both respects. All right. So join the discussion with us. Feel free to weigh in on any of the topics that we talked about in today's podcast, either by our Facebook page or at the bottom of each story. You can also join the discussion and you can weigh in on what we've talked about 
today. So Chris, uh, moving forward, what are you working on for Augusta Free Press? Well, uh, you know, this weekend, I know I've got VMI baseball coming up. Um, also, I think I might try tonight to do a quick preview. In fact, I will. Um, so I'm, I'm being nice when I say, but we're going to do a quick preview of the big Virginia, Virginia Tech baseball series in Davenport Park, uh, uh, Disharoon Park at Davenport Field this weekend. Uh, two teams who are in the top 10 of several of the national polls. There's five college baseball national polls, uh, but Virginia Tech and Virginia uh, also um, – I think I'll get this done this week. Uh, uh, a more in-depth look at R- Waynesboro's situation uh, involving um, having 16 open positions on, on his police force and how um, city leaders are trying to scheme around maybe figuring out a solution to that problem. So um, yeah, there's a diversity there talking some sports and then some really in-depth uh, work on our local police uh, manpower shortage. All right. I encourage you to check out Project Mental Health on Augusta Free Press. Like Chris said, you can get to it on our mobile site or our desktop site, or you can go to projectmentalhealthva.com and that'll redirect you to our website as well. So Chris, I want to thank you for all your time and insight on these local issues today. I want to thank everyone who stayed with us for the entire podcast as well. And we hope you'll listen in next time as well as we continue the discussion on local and state issues that matter to you.